You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Christmas. So thank you guys so much. Uh, and as we sing Silent Night as we're around all this Christmas decorations, I want you to think about what does Christmas mean to you? You know, all of us have experienced several Christmases, at least most of us. And over those years, you uh, build memories, you build traditions. The season starts to come filled with some expectations. And so over the years, Christmas comes to mean different things to different people, kind of based on our experiences. So maybe you know the time where we sing these songs and we put up the Christmas trees, and maybe to you it means fun. Maybe to some of you it means hurt. Maybe to some of you it just means busyness and watching my bank account get freakishly low. <laughs> Maybe say D, all of the above. That's what, all of that is what this season is for me. But have you ever thought about the people who experienced the first Christmas? So the people who didn't have the Christmas trees yet and the lights and the Black Friday, they, they didn't see it coming. They were surprised by Christmas. The ones who first met Jesus. That's our goal over the next few weeks. We're going to go back to the eyewitnesses of the first advent. And we're going to find out, okay, what did they see? What did it mean to them? What did they do when they first met Jesus? See, there, there's a principle that applies really across all of Scripture. And, it, and it's this. The Bible wasn't written to you. Now, I know, I know that sounds bad. Now, it's for you, it's for you, but it wasn't written to you. It was originally written to other people. And it's not about you. The Bible, it's about what happened. It's about events. It's about eyewitness accounts of other people to, to someone else. And so there's this principle that we say, that before I know what it means to me, I have to know what it meant to them. And that is true of Christmas. Before I can know what it really means for me, I have to know what it meant to them. And so, consider this this morning. Consider this your invitation to come to Christmas with a blank slate. To come to this birth of baby Jesus and, and set aside your expectations, set aside even all, maybe some of your memories and your, some of your traditions, and come to look at this baby Jesus through new eyes. The eyes of those who first met him. This week, we're going to look at Jesus through the eyes of Mary, his mother. We're going to look at four things. Who she was, what she saw, what it meant, and then what she did. So with that in mind, let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Let's read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's, virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we meet this young girl named Mary. Let's, talk, let's start off talking about who Mary was. Now, Mary was probably about 14 or 15 years old. She is a teenage girl. And the most important thing about her is how unimportant she was. Her life was unassuming and it was expected to remain unassuming for her whole life. So like her parents before her and before them and before them, she would probably marry humbly. She would give birth to several poor children and she would probably never travel farther than a few miles from her home. As with all peasant girls, her and all her friends, she knew she was illiterate. And y'all, she's from the boonies. She is from a podunk town called Nazareth. Now, I know we got people that grew up all over the country. No matter where you're from, there's a little town close by that you hope God never makes you move to. It's got one store. It's the gas station. It's the hardware store. It's the burger joint and the video rental place all in one. That's the only store in the whole town. That's Nazareth. In fact, when Nathan, later on, when Nathan first heard about Jesus, he famously said, how can anything good come from Nazareth? That was this place. Y'all, Mary is a nobody from nowhere. But this unextraordinary girl sees something extraordinary. So let's talk next about what she saw. First, she saw an angel. Now, y'all, to understand what's happening here, we have to un understand Angels, biblical angels, they're not the harmless-looking chubby babies in togas with bows and arrows. Okay, that's from pop culture. That's not from the Bible. Angels in the Bible are towering, majestic warriors. In fact, every angel, almost always, their first word is something like, don't be afraid. You know why they have to say that? Because everyone's terrified when they see them. This one we're told is Gabriel. Gabriel's name means God's fortitude. Now, the last time we saw Gabriel in Scripture was about four, 500 years before this when Gabriel was sent to, angel, to Daniel. But he was delayed for 21 days because of an angelic conflict. He got in this cosmic battle with three other demons, and then Michael shows up, and Michael's the only other angel named in Scripture. He comes to Gabriel's aid. They win, and so Gabriel escapes and goes to Daniel. That's the kind of stuff Gabriel is doing, okay? He is a mighty warrior, not of this world, from another realm. And so this, this heavenly warrior that strikes fear into everyone that sees him appears to a nobody from nowhere. And he greets her and he tells this nobody from nowhere, you are favored by the Lord. Mary has the same reaction we would, all of us would have. She, she tries to discern what type of greeting this is. That means she's trying to make sense of what's, ha what's happening, what's unfolding before her eyes. She's trying to make sense of something that makes no 
sense. I want you to imagine if right now, right in the middle of the sermon, all of a sudden, you know, we start hearing sirens go off and we hear helicopters circling and then all of a sudden some soldiers repel from the ceiling and then some guys with dark suits and earbuds in and they run in and they say, we're the Secret Service. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but we have a matter of national security. The president needs to talk to and says your name. You'd be like, what? <laughs> Hold on. You must be looking for someone else because I'm not important enough for all of this. And I'm not important enough for you guys to even know my name. That's what Mary's saying. She said, who am I that God has sent his secret service in, swooped in, and they know my name and they call me favored by the Lord? So this is the scene, this eternal, mighty, extraordinary beating has sought out a normal, unimportant young girl. Men and women, this is Advent. Advent is the supernatural breaking into your normal. It's the supernatural breaking in to your normal. And that's the point also of the virgin conception. Now, we usually call it the virgin birth. I said virgin conception because y'all, the birth it's nothing special. Happens every day all over the world since time began. There, there's literally billions of births just like this one, but the conception is what has only happened once. It is completely unique. It is the divine breaking into the human. It's the supernatural breaking into the normal. See, through what she saw and who she was, the Bible is making it as clear as it can. Something new is breaking into our world. That's what Christmas is all about. Something not of our invention, something not in our power to do, something not even in our power to make sense of is breaking into our normal. You know, one of the classic Christmas movies is the Charlie Brown Christmas. You've probably all seen it, most of you. You know the plot. Starts off, Charlie is depressed. And he's depressed because Christmas is supposed to be fun, but it's not anymore because of all the commercialism around Christmas. And so things should be fun, but it's not fun. And so he visits Lucy Psychiatric Booth. You remember this? She, she suggests. I think she charged him a nickel. I wish psychiatrists only cost a nickel. That'd be great. She says, hey, here's what you need to do. How about you do a Christmas play, Charlie? And Charlie thinks, that's a great idea. Maybe that's something I can do to fix my problems. Something I can do to find joy for myself. But everything goes wrong in the Christmas play. All the kids, they complain. They won't cooperate. So he thinks, maybe I need some Christmas decorations. He goes to get a Christmas tree. But all he can find is the saddest little tree you've ever seen. All the kids laugh at him. And Charlie gets so frustrated because all the things that should be great aren't great. And everything he does to fix it just backfires on him. You know that feeling? You know that feeling, right? This world is broken, and you are doing everything you can, everything you know to fix it, but nothing works. The things that promise you joy are just disappointing. The people you put your hope in, they also eventually disappoint you. The things that are beautiful, they eventually wither and die. You can't seem to mend that relationship. You can't seem to shake that sin. You did your best, but everything still backfires. Well, you're not alone. It's the same for all of us. 
Ever since sin first entered the world, we're all like little Charlie Browns. We're all stuck in this cycle of sin and death and decay. It's that hamster wheel that we cannot get off of. And think of it, think, think of it, y'all. Think of all the advancements in knowledge and in technology we've had since the days of Adam and Eve. And every day, we add to it. Every day, there's some new advancement. Every day, someone writes a book on some new technique, but we still can't fix it on our own. If human history, if it tells us anything, it's that we need something new to break in. Something new to break into our endless cycle. Do you remember what happened next for Charlie Brown? When he's about ready to give up, he just shouts, does anyone know what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, he walks to the center stage, he calls for the spotlight, and he recites the Annunciation to the Shepherds. And when he's done, he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. This is what Christmas is all about. Something new is breaking in. Heaven is meeting with earth. The immortal is putting on mortality. And that's what Mary saw that day. But what did this breaking in from another world mean? What what did she take it to mean? Let's talk about what it meant, what it meant to her. The angel tells her five things about this baby. Number one, he will be great. Well, that's what every mom wants to hear about their child, right? All of you will say, yeah, my child's great. You may even say, God told you your child was great. But this angel means something different. He he says, what I mean by, by great is he will be holy. That's what's going to make this child different. Now, we're all different in many ways, but one thing we all have in common is we are all unable not to sin. That's part of our endless cycle. It's the most scientifically verifiable fact in all of history. So in all of human history, we think about 107 billion people have ever lived, and 107 billion have sinned and struggled and been broken. And it's because sin is built in. It's in our nature. So it's like a dog. A dog doesn't wake up in the morning and struggle with the decision of whether they're going to fly or not. Why? Because it's not in their nature. It's not in a dog's nature to fly. He can't do it. We are not holy, not just because of choice, but because sin is in our nature. We are not really free to do otherwise. But when Gabriel looks at Mary, and says, this child will be holy, she's saying, he can fly. He can do something you cannot do. Jesus is going to be like us in every way except for one. He will not be born with a sin nature. So the angel goes on to say, he will be called son of the most high. Now, back in that day, sons were seen as carbon copies of their father, an exact replica. And so Gabriel is saying, this son, he will be equal with Yahweh. He will be God. And then the next three things he says, guys, these are a Davidic covenant explosion. These are terms packed with meaning from the Old Testament. He says, he will be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So we need to talk about the Davidic covenant a little bit. The Davidic covenant, it's all about a king coming from the line of David who would bring what the Old Testament calls shalom. That's perfect peace, perfect blessing to creation out of, out of this endless cycle of sin and death and decay. But what happens in the Old Testament right after this covenant is made? Well, first of all, you got David. David is the greatest king Israel ever knew. 
but he was still fallen. He was still sinful. In fact, his own sin led to one son starting a civil war and another son attempting a coup against him. And then shortly after David's death, his grandchildren will divide the kingdom forever. And so this promise of an eternal kingdom seemingly doesn't even make it for two generations. And then this day, the day that Gabriel appears to Mary, they are ruled by the Romans, not even a Davidic king. And this is how it's been. This is the the hamster wheel. For for thousands of years, man's attempts to fulfill the Davidic covenant have been pitiful. And they haven't changed a thing. Have you ever done something like this? You know, like you wad up a ball of paper and you go to throw it in the trash can that's like three feet away and you miss by like five feet. And then you look over into your horror, somebody else saw it. And they look at you like, you are a pitiful human being. I didn't know someone could miss by that much. That's us trying to produce one human worthy of the Davidic covenant. We're not even getting close. But the angel angel announces what we have been powerless to do, God will do himself. Something new is breaking in. But this mighty, everlasting, eternal king will come in the form of a baby. Now, back then, a lot of people were looking for this Davidic Messiah. The Pharisees, the experts of the law, they they were obsessed with who this Messiah might be. And they had all kinds of theories for what powerful figure might appear. It might descend from heaven. And there was all kind of speculations about what this mighty warrior might look like. And so, to them, Gabriel fit the bill. Gabriel, that guy, it must be him. There's one thing they would have never believed. That this powerful figure would be or could be a little baby. I heard a song this week. It's a great song, sung from the point of view of Mary, expressing the surprise that this mighty Savior would come in a baby. One line said this, he was supposed to look like lightning. Instead, he looks like his mother. Why a baby? Why is this the best way? Doesn't that make him vulnerable? Doesn't it make him fragile? What does it mean? Men and women, it means that God is making himself vulnerable in order to have a relationship with you. Now, a mighty angel like Gabriel or some king locked up in a castle somewhere, listen, they can get your attention. They can give you information. They can bark out orders at you. A distant king, he might might even love his people in principle, but he can't know you. He can't love you individually and intimately. He's too distant. He's too intimidating. He's too other to be really close to you. But men and women, God's not looking to bark out orders. He's not looking to love you in theory. He is looking for a relationship with you. He is looking for trust, for intimacy, for love. In fact, that's the reason he created you, is to have a relationship with you. And so he knows in order to to bind his heart with another person. You have to become like them. You have to be, open yourself up to them. You have to become vulnerable to them. And that's exactly what Jesus was willing to do for you. This is the meaning of the everlasting king coming as a baby. He is completely vulnerable, unthreatening, fragile baby. And what can you do with a baby? You can pull him close. 
The ancient church father, Bernard of Clairvaux, said this, Behold, he comes as an infant and without speech, for the voice of the wailing infant arouses compassion, not terror. By this weakness, he may know that he com- you may know that he comes not to destroy, but to save, not to bind, but to unbind. Men and women, he came not to just break into your problems or your world. He came to break into your heart. And Mary gets it. And we know he gets it because of what she does. So let's look at what she did. She does two things. The first thing she does, she questions. Did you see that? She asks questions. Now, it says she's troubled. It says she's trying to discern. And so she's, she's got some questions for this angel. She's like, uh, Mr. Gabriel, sir, uh, you're clearly not from around here. Are you aware of where babies come from? Now, I know, I know many times, listen, we're, maybe covertly or maybe overtly, we're told not to doubt, not to ask questions. Well, y'all, that's not biblical at all. When something new, something unbelievable, something beyond our capacity breaks in, people always have a lot of questions. Questions are fine. Questions are even good. But hang around for the answer. See, there, there's a type of questioning that it's really popular. A lot of people do it. And it's really just defiance. It throws out questions but doesn't hang around for the answer. So it's prideful doubt that shouts questions and then storms out. You know, things like, well, if you're so smart, then what about? And then the problem is never our questions. The problem sometimes can be our proud heart behind the questions. But that's not Mary. Mary asks questions humbly and then hangs around for the answers. See, she's not trying to win an argument. She's not trying to justify her own desires. She is genuinely seeking to understand. She isn't proud. She is humbly seeking truth. So what about you this morning? Whatever your questions about God are, are you hanging around for the answers? What if God does give you an answer? Are you willing to listen? What if that answer contradicts you? What if that answer shatters the beliefs that you've held for so long with a tight fist? What if that answer demands change from you? What if it requires risk and sacrifice from you? And this is where Mary becomes one of the greatest examples you'll find in your Bible for us. Because the second thing she does is she surrenders. She surrenders. Verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And with that, Gabriel leaves. He knows my job is done here. And he pieces out. Her response is simple. It is beautiful. It is profound. She simply says yes to God. No qualification, no bargaining, no whining, no groaning. Just yes. She's saying, I will gladly receive whatever it is you have for me. Now let's take a moment and appreciate what she is saying yes to. Because we we know the end of the story. She doesn't know the end of the story yet. So here's what she's signing up for. She's she's been told she's going to be pregnant with no husband in a culture where that is punishable by death. And even if she lives, she's in a small town. She will never be able to escape the disgrace and the shame within her community. 
The man she loves, Joseph, will probably leave her. And that's not just heartbreaking. That is life-changing. She's already poor. If Joseph, Joseph rejects her, she will become destitute. She will become a beggar in the streets. So in saying yes, she's financially insolvent. She has a ruined reputation. And her most important relationship is falling apart. In the face of all that, she doesn't seek any self-protection. There's no bargaining. I don't know about y'all. I would have said, excuse me, Mr. Angel, sir, before you leave, how about those winning Powerball numbers? Can you give me those? At least then I'll know you're you're actually going to take care of me here. What you're seeing before you here with Mary, it is the purest example of what the Bible calls faith. It's faith. Mary's completely taking her hands off her life and placing her trust in God. She figures, listen, if this God is big enough to break into my world like this and loves me enough to come a, become a baby for me, then I can trust him enough to say yes to him. I can let go of all my rights. I can take my hands off my life and I can trust him. You know what I never noticed before this week? Never noticed it. Mary doesn't get to name her own baby. How about that? If there's one right a parent has in this world, it's to name their own child. But God names him, and Mary doesn't even argue with him. She doesn't say, oh, I've always liked this name, or I always want to name after my mama. No. Why? It's because you don't name him. He names you. You don't call the shots for him. He calls the shots for you. If God himself is going to break into our world and save us, then that means we follow him. He doesn't follow us. And so Mary, this teenage, unwed mother from Palestine, says yes with no conditions. She steps down off the throne of her own life. And don't don't misunderstand here. She is not moping. She's not like little kids when you ask them to share with one another. They're like, oh, fine. No, she's saying yes. I won. I'm favored. I'm hashtag blessed. I win. Mary understands the parable of the pearl of great price before Jesus even preaches it. That this is something so valuable. I will gladly and with joy let go of everything else if only I can gain this treasure. Mary understands The best thing she can do, the best thing anyone can do is exchange your dreams, your plans, your agendas for something even better. His plans, his agendas, his promises. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this present time, though they are real, though they are painful, though we wish they didn't exist, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. It's not even worth me trying to make a comparison. It's beyond comparison. We win. When we surrender to Jesus, it is not a sacrifice. It is a gift. It's us stepping off that hamster wheel that we can't fix and receiving the gift of God breaking into our world. So what about you this morning, this Christmas season? Have you said like Mary, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
Men and women, I can't think of a better meaning for our Christmas than that. See, Christmas, it's not just about us admiring Jesus from a distance or having a lot of respect for him or even just following some old dead traditions about him. It is about the reality that Jesus broke through for you and he became a baby so you can pull him close. So would you be willing to say to God, every day this week, when you wake up, when you go to bed, when something unexpected comes, when you're doing your Christmas shopping, when you see that bank account going lower, just pray with me this week with Mary, the words of Mary. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let us pray this. Let us repeat it. Let us meditate on it. Let us teach this to our hearts. Until all of the, the disappointments and the pain and the injustices that we experience suddenly grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Until you can joyfully take your hands off all that you have because of what you gain in him. Until you can say from the depths of your heart, in Christ, I have all I need. Until you and I realize, listen, we don't have to be Charlie Brown anymore. We can be Mary. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Well, we're going to close the service this morning by remembering just how vulnerable Jesus made himself in order that we may respond in faith like Mary, in order that we may have a relationship with him. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus wasn't some secretly indestructible baby. No, 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 this baby will grow up to become a man. And that man will open himself up to all the sufferings of the world, even death itself, even death on a cross. And the Bible says his death was for you. He didn't deserve it. He could have stopped it, but he wanted a relationship with you. So he took the penalty for your sin. He made himself vulnerable in order to have a relationship with you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.